Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. The only reason I showed up today is because is I was told there would be some Molly. This is Pet Sunday <laughs> School. And two <laughs> Man. Here we go. Brothers, sisters, siblings, welcome to Penn's Sunday School, starring Penn Gillette. My name is Michael Godot. Penn, Ray Rich, and I are broadcasting from Show Creator Studios, south in Las Vegas. <laughs> On this week's episode, Matt is still off somewhere doing something, and we're going to do another show talking with the great magician and author, Handsome Jack. And You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Here is preaching love. It's Mr. Penn Yeah, here I am preaching love. Uh, yeah, writer, performer. Now, you're in town now writing a book with Piff. I am indeed. Um, How's they, that going? It Great. It, What's the book called? Uh, right now, the working title is Piff the Magic Book. Ah. He wanted to call it Pearls Before Swine. <laughs> 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 and I said, you can't call it that. And he said, how about swirls before pine? And I went, that's even worse. <laughs> well, here's the man who wanted to call his tour Epic Hunt. <laughs> Pip, Pip the Magic Dragon, Epic Hunt. <laughs> now, you said the book turned out well? The, yes, we, we actually just finished it yesterday. The, we have been two hours away from finishing this book for six months mm -hmm. and i'm like piff we've got to fix this chapter and this page come on piff you can do it for six months and so i said what's it going to take well if you sit down with me so i came to town and we sat down yesterday you came to town to eat thanksgiving at mac well, i did that you did not come to town to help piff well while i was in town I made sure I stayed next for a couple of days so I could go to Piff's. Okay. And it took about two hours, and we finished the book. Now, you're writing books like crazy. That's You're writing I'm... a book with Teller. You're writing a book with Piff. And everybody else in the Are universe. you writing a book with Max Maven? I'm, I'm working with Max on some stuff he's publishing, yes. Yeah, yeah. And who mm -hmm. else are you writing books with? Well, uh, I'm doing like four books with Vanishing Inc., mm -hmm. which is a magic company. They're a good company. They're a good company. Uh, in fact, one of the five things I'm doing with Vanishing Inc. is they've got this series called um, Astonishing Essays. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a series of 10 books. They've released eight of them. I was, I'm, I was slated to be number nine. Well, I was actually slated to be number one. But they called me when they got the idea for this series like six years ago. They said, would you write an, uh, uh, an Astonishing Essay for us? I, I'm like, sure. And they said, how about that 
Beatles thing that you did. I gave at a magic convention, I gave a talk called 10 things I learned about magic from the Beatles. Mm -hmm. And it was things like go to Hamburg. And then, <laughs> you know, uh, don't, don't wait for Ringo. Right. You know, put the chorus first, you know, uh -huh. things I learned from the Beatles, but applying them all to magic. And I gave a talk at that at a convention and people liked it and worked well. And I knew it would work well for this format. And I could not sit down and write it. I had some sort of block. I knew it would be, I knew it's a good idea because I delivered it as a talk. I knew, I knew it's something people could get, you know, learn from. I could not sit down and write it. And this is, it's like, they called me and said, it's been six years. Should we, <laughs> <laughs> should we just give up? And I said, let me think. And then I gave a, a 20 minute talk online. It was a sort of a magic seminar thing. And they said, would you do a 20 minute talk about something? I said, sure. And what I decided to do on that 20 minute talk was I took a transcript of the Penn and Teller Bible prediction trick, mm -hmm. what you called quote of the day. Or and, quotation of the day. Well, that was the big deal. Is the first <laughs> time I was on Penn Sunday School, Matt Donnelly said, you know, you wrote this thing about quote of the day and you said, you got that wrong in your book. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, I've been wrong about this thing. <laughs> and then after the episode was done, I looked it up and I was not wrong. I was indeed right that in all the programs you called it quote of the day. You just wished you had called it quotation of the day. <laughs> so anyway, I gave a 20 minute talk about that trick. And then I went, I can turn that into this essay. I can expand that to an essay like essay length thing. And I did knowing it'd be kind of interesting and fun. And I knew I could write it. And it turned out to be one of the best things I've ever written. Yeah, oh, I know that my friend Farley Ziegler loves it, loves it, loves it. Yeah. And the teller loves it, loves it, loves it. Yeah. And I haven't read it because I'm always no. uncomfortable. And, and you, you won't read it because it's about you and there's no reason you should. But it's one of these things that turned out way better than I expected. So I'm very excited about that. Now, where is that available? That is not released yet, but it will be in Vanishing Inc. That, you know, we'll be releasing it. But then I'm writing a book with, there's a card magician named Alan Ackerman. Oh, yeah. And there is a French card magician named uh, Jean-Pierre Valerino, wrote a book of his card magic. Uh, Luc Germain, a great, great mentalist from London. I'm writing a book of his material. I'm co-writing it with him. Um, so I, I, I sat down and I figured out during the pandemic how many books I've worked on, either wrote, co-wrote, consulted on you know, copy edited. It's, it's like 26 books. Um, literally, uh, since I went into quarantine on March 11th, 2020, I don't know the date of anything in the universe, but I know that on March 11th, 2020, I went into, into, you know, quarantine during lockdown and literally every, every day since then, and that's been what, 20 months now, I've worked on some book project or another, at least a little bit, if only for an hour or a day, every single day since then I've worked on a book. And how much performing are you doing? Well, um, during lockdown, I did none. And I was thinking, since I was doing so much writing and I wasn't really missing performing, I was like, I, I might be done performing. Maybe I'm retired as a magician and that'll be okay. I think maybe I'm retired and, you know, who cares? But I think I might perform, I might not. But I had one book, booking, not one book, one booking on, the, uh, on my calendar because it was something that had been postponed twice because of COVID. It was a week of theater shows in this theater in New Mexico. And I was like, oh, I got to do those shows in New Mexico in October. I don't want those to be the first shows I do in a year and a half. So I called up the castle after they reopened and got myself booked for a week at the castle in September 
of 2021. And so they booked me in the in the parlor at the castle for September. And I thought, I'll do that week of shows, get that under my belt, and I won't be quite so rusty for the theater shows. So I booked out of the castle. I emailed the woman at the theater who, uh, who hired me to go over some logistics. The email bounced back because the theater has closed. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, now I don't even have to do the castle week, but I'm booked. Oh, well. So this is what I'll do. I'll go, I'll be rusty, it'll suck, and I'll realize I can finally retire and be done with performing. In fact, to make sure this master plan works, I'll do all new material. <laughs> that way we know it'll suck. Problem solved. So I do the week, and I crushed every fucking show. I'm like, God damn it! Oh, Sucked damn you it. back, damn just it, when you it. thought you were free. And so that's my tragedy. I'm too goddamn good. Too good. Too good. That's my tragedy. Handsome Jack. That's what they say. Handsome Jack. Too good. Too good for his own good. Yeah. So I, uh, uh, those are the only shows I've, the only performing I've done so far in like two years is that week of the castle. But I got a couple of couple of gigs on the books. So. I, and I'm going to start like... Once people start clapping, man. Yeah. Once you finish a show and people come up and start saying nice things to you, yeah. it starts to come back. Did you like doing the shows? I did. Um, I'm not somebody who craves the applause or needs to be in the spotlight or, or, or you know, misses performing. But while I'm doing it, I enjoy it well enough. Um, if, <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I, I really... Just get out. Will you just get out? <laughs> I You're really, slowing the rest of us down. I really only like performing <laughs> if there are people in the audience I know. If I'm doing it, if there's nobody I know, I'm like, why am I bothering? I don't care. <laughs> the approval of strangers means nothing to me. But if there's one person I know in the audience, this I like is it. the wrong career for you. Buddy. Yeah, I know. It's, you can quit. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay to just say I'm an author. Yeah. In fact, that sounds cooler. Yeah. Magician is a little, you know. Yeah. A little. <laughs> I'm trying to be yeah. polite. I got there's mostly magicians here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure I can make it out of the door before they beat me. Yeah. <laughs> now, Gudo, you, every once in a while you flirt with the idea of doing magic in your show, don't you? I do. And you always fail. I don't like lying to people. <laughs> I, that's. I, I'm very uncomfortable yeah. pretending I know something that they don't. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, if you were to ask me in the middle of the show, how'd you do that? I go like this, look, and that, I'd take it apart and show it. That's what Penn does. I can't. <laughs> it's been my career. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, see that space is already filled, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's horrifying to me. It's hard. I did. I did in my very first show ever. I did linking rings and then it was 25 years before I did any magic trick again. <laughs> It, it, it's funny you say that because uh, the lying part of magic bothers me a little bit too. And I had a gig for a while where I did walk around magic at a restaurant. I did it for like six months. I hated it. I'm glad I did it. I learned a lot, but I hated it. And one day I had a small set of Lincoln rings and I would do that in the restaurant because it was something for my stage act. And so I did the restaurant and I did it for a guy and it really, really bothered him. He was so fooled back by it, and he kept going, let me see those rings. And I'd give him the rings and examine them, and I'd take him and I'd link him, and he's like, oh my God. And it bothered him so bad, I started to feel guilty. And I felt horrible. And that night, I went to the Magic Castle, and Eugene Berger was there. And you knew Eugene Berger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great magician from Chicago. He sadly died a couple of years ago. But Berger, I, call him, I used to call him the Berger. 
So I stepped into the <laughs> castle and the burger was there. And I went up and I said, Eugene, I got to tell you about something that happened today. And I told him about how I fooled this guy really bad and it really bothered me and I felt guilty. And he said, John, you've got to get over that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, I, uh, I have the exact same story and I met Teller and he wanted to team up. And so I ended up with that sensibility yeah. being a magician. Yeah. It's very, very and, uncomfortable. And you're the only magician I know. Every magician I know, if you, if, 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 if they fool me, they just love that. And they sit on the, and they let me stew in my not knowing. I think I would be fine fooling magicians. Yeah. But the thing, <laughs> I think the, you go, hey, this is where you live, buddy. Yeah. I'm poking you in the eye. But the thing about fooling, <laughs> the thing about fooling magicians is, is you love it. If you can fool a magician, you love it. And you let, and sit them, sit, let them sit there and stew on it, not knowing. If pen fools you, you go, man, I, that new card trick fools me. Well, what I was doing is I had an extra deck of cards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see? Juggler. You, you, you juggler at heart. Yeah. You have to tell every, people how clever the, clever the method is. Yeah. That's what you love about it. I do love yeah. it. Yeah. See, now also, I, I also before. don't think it hurts that much. No. I mean, that's been my whole point for the whole beginning. Yeah. I would like to have magic tricks that I could then expose. Then I would be very happy. That's, I've done that. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm going to start doing and, some of yours. Yeah, you've done it very well. I'm going to do some of yours because that, that would be more satisfying to me. Well, yeah, I've got... Um, I, I guess a juggler thing. I want credit for having learned how to do this. Yeah. And, and in magic, you're pretending that it wasn't a skill. You know, you're like, wow, the yeah. mysterious universe and this happened. Well, that's where, you know, Houdini with uh, Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah. Conan Doyle, you know, Houdini did these amazing escapes, and Conan Doyle said, you're just dematerializing yeah. and rematerializing, and Houdini drove him crazy. Yeah. <laughs> the, Houdini did that thing where you remove your, your, your <laughs> finger with your thumb. He did it for Conan Doyle and his wife, and his wife fainted. <laughs> <laughs> You have to make this very clear. We're talking about the trick where you do your thumb and slide oh, it along. Yeah. The trick that, you know, uncles do for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, the, it, the most avuncular it, trick. It, 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 it's it's right. one notch above, I got your nose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and two notches above, pull my finger. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how he farted when I pulled it. <laughs> That's a weird thing. Miraculous. That's a very odd thing. But yeah, I uh, you want you want full credit, which Penn and Teller managed to get because we just say these are tricks, these are tricks, these yeah. are tricks, these yeah. are tricks, over well, and over again. So you you begin the red ball with saying here's a here's a trick done with a piece of thread. Mm -hmm. I believe that's the sentence. Yeah. Um, and so because I'm working on this book with Teller, we talked about the red ball and all the details of it. And you know what? It's a trick with thread. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the secret <laughs> the secret is is teller's obsession the secret is teller did that on vacation yeah. i seen video of him at a cabin in utah doing that trick mm -hmm. and i have to think i you know i would never take my juggling clubs but, and do that but it when is, i was a kid i guess i did it is simultaneously just a trick with thread that's all it is and it's also one of the most complicated things ever. It's both at the same time. Yeah. yeah. There you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently happy to lie to people. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I don't but believe I, I don't, don't believe I broke my NDA by telling you that. But I'll tell you that um, it, it is interesting because um, 
if you want to dig into the psychology of that, when I say this is a trick done with a thread, mm-hmm. I think many, many people don't believe me. I, yeah, I wonder about that. It's hard to second guess the layperson's mind. Yeah. And as a magician, you need to know that. You need to, you need to know what are they thinking. And it's often really, really hard to guess. Really hard. Yeah. And that's one of the things that, you know, I believe that Teller and Hondra are two of the best at. It's a kind of empathy. Mm-hmm. They really can do a dialogue that is, um, not accurate, mm-hmm. but at least maps close enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can really tell you no one's looking at your left hand and they're right. Yeah. You know, and they can really tell you what bothers people mm-hmm. and they're right, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, some of the stuff is amazingly, um, amazingly subtle that uh, Hondra comes up with. There's a trick where uh, I'm showing that I've memorized uh, decks of cards. And uh, I'm going to count down to the card, right? So I say to someone in the audience, you name a number, and they say nine, whatever they say. I don't don't have a way to control that. They say, well, let's say, for example, they say nine. They say (laughs) nine. And then then I say name a suit, and they say uh, diamonds, for instance, right? Then I say, well, I tell you that that is six down in the deck. And I go one, two, three three, four, five, you said nine, you said diamonds, I said six. And I hold it up and show it to the camera. And sure enough, it's a nine of diamonds. And Hondro said, I mean, this is a level of sci- uh, magic sophistication that's really beautiful. And um, uh, Hondro said, the problem is that you're holding up a card and saying, I said six. And I'm seeing a nine. Mm-hmm. And he said, when you're saying a different number than I'm holding up, uh, my subconscious thinks the trick failed. Yeah. So my conscious thinks the trick was successful. Mm-hmm. My subconscious thinks it failed. So you say, uh, and I've got the sixth card here. You said nine. You said diamonds. There's the nine of diamonds. Yeah. That right, is, sure. That is There's, not any different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yet, yeah. huge difference well, with the there, audience. There was a similar huge thing difference. with your uh, the trick you call lucky, which is the coin tossing yeah. trick, which is you say if if you want it to be, if you think it's going to be heads, raise your hand. If you think it's going to be tails, you know, uh, keep your hands down. And the people who are right get to remain standing, and the people who are wrong have to sit down. And what you would do is uh, that you toss the coin and be heads. You say, it's heads, tails sit down, heads stand up. And I'm like, no, you can't say it's heads, tails sit down. Mm-hmm. It has to be it's heads, heads stand up, keep standing, yep. then tails sit down. Yep. Same, same sort of thing. This is the kind of thinking I have no skill at in magic yeah. at all. Yeah. Can't even imagine. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 skills do you have? I don't know. No. That's a good question. That's a good question. Um, that came that comes up when I was working with Teller and Hondro. <laughs> yeah, did, did you really? <laughs> that was a question they both asked as well. Yeah. Uh, okay. was like, "What can you do? What can you do?" It's, I like can, the, it's like Iron Man. You say, I'm an eccentric genius millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I can give you an introduction to anything. teller says i can connect two subjects no matter what they are i can connect them (laughs) in a way that makes sense with 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 no preparation yeah no yeah you know know what's fascinating to me is that many magic tricks are sold under the premise i will fool other magicians well that's because most 
almost all magicians only perform for other magicians. Well, and that's the thing is when we talk about when we when we I, I mean magicians when magicians use the word magician, ninety percent of the time what they're talking about are hobbyists. Yeah, just the word magician is almost equivalent to hobbyist, mm -hmm. and so I, and I, that is also. Uh, more an American thing than anywhere else. Mm. I didn't know that till Honda explained to me, we don't have amateur magicians in Spain. Oh, mm -hmm. There just aren't that many. Yeah, You know, whereas most magicians, I, I, I mean, I think it's the vast majority of magicians in the United States, I'm not talking about full-time professional magicians. Mm -hmm. Full-time professional, that's what they do for a living, that's what's on their tax return. Yeah. Only perform for other magicians. That is yeah. that is true yeah. and surprising. Yeah. I do work a lot of magic conventions yeah. and I guess most people do. Yeah. yeah. Most performers do. Yeah. Huh. Lecturing, lecturing and magic conventions I, and I because uh, the people that are working, um, let's say magicians who know reasonable percentage of their income yeah. comes from performing for other magicians. Yeah, small, small percentage. Yeah. I mean, that's really the people in Vegas, mm -hmm. you know, us, Copperfield, yeah. uh, you know, Mac, Mac Franco, yeah. Mac, yeah. Uh, uh, Shim, and Piff, you know, which is the list. Yeah. And then you've probably got another 300 who are maybe doing, you know, just, yeah. just, just world, grinding sure. it. Yeah, trade shows. and Grinding it. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. And then you've got all these people who are performing at magic conventions, which skews magic books tremendously. Yes, it does. And because props. What's that? And props. Yeah. I bought what I think is a great trick. Uh, you guys know it. You probably know it. It's stretching the truth. I don't it's know. It's a by cardiograph oh, with it, animal cookies. Yeah, it's based. And it is fantastic. It's yeah. a great trick. What, what is it based on? It, it's based on cardiographic, which is uh, the Martin Lewis trick. Where it's a, it, it, it seems like a card trick. Let me draw a picture of your card. And you draw a picture of the wrong card. And you go, oh, this is not your card. This is the deck of cards. Then you add lines oh, yeah, to make yeah. it look. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You add three-dimensional lines to make it look. See, there's a full deck. Your yeah. card is inside there. Yeah. And then a drawing of the their card rises out of it. Like, it's yeah. animated. Yeah, it's really And then you right. hand them the paper. You can and tear it's the just, paper off and, and hand it And it's just it a piece of paper. So, so the effect is an animation of ink on paper. Mm -hmm. it's pretty great and there's an animal cookie version of it which which i do again very uncomfortable but i do it for kids and because there's because i'm a juggler there's no heat on the magic part of it yeah so i don't feel uncomfortable doing the trick part of it and i'm it's mostly just me being a jerk to a yeah. kid which is great uh but when i bought the prop and the you know i followed their instructions to build it i was like this is awful mm -hmm. if you drop that pad that i'm working with this trick is over there's pieces everywhere and oh. you know flags fly out and say this is how it's done yeah, <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. it's just it's just not it's just not, not made for someone to handle yeah and i rebuilt it and it i believe yeah. it is 10 times better than the one they sell i i wrote to the guy who did who built it and he said that is fantastic yeah. that's the way i'm building mine from now on yeah and that's not at, but i'm gonna sell the shitty version he still sells the <laughs> shitty version yeah. and his reason is nine out of ten people who buy it don't do it They're they put it in a drawer yep yeah magicians buy stuff and just to collect my, it. My, well my, even 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 piff right buys stuff to well, put piff in drawers a, yeah, yeah billion oh, dollars worth of things piff spends use. a lot of money buying stuff to put in a drawer yeah mm -hmm. Um, my variation of that trick is I find somebody in the audience, it's their birthday, 
and I say, I'm, I have a drawing. I'm going to make a drawing of your, the, your ultimate birthday present, something you've always wanted and never gotten. And I go, see if you can guess what her ultimate birthday present is, something she's always wanted, never gotten. I turn around and go, it's a birthday cake. Have you ever gotten a birthday cake? And she's like, yeah. I go, let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> and then a drawing of me in my Chippendales outfit rises out of the cake. Uh-huh. And I say, happy birthday. And I write her name on it and I hand it to her. And the subtlety for magicians is I write her name on it before the, the drawing of me rises out and I hand it to her. And it's her name on it. And I, I didn't know who I was going to use, but it's, it's her name written on it and a drawing of me in my Chippendales outfit. You're trying to impress the magicians trying by adding that extra yep. step. Yep. It means nothing to be honest. <laughs> Nobody not, gives not a thing. damn. And, it, and it's so good. <laughs> it's so good that I desperately want to point it out to the audience. And I can't. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, I was hired, because uh, I get the best writing jobs in the world, I was hi- asked to come and write a show for a porn star to talk about her life here in Vegas. How, how could I not know about that gig? <laughs> how could you not get hired for that gig? Apparently you were unavailable or Glenn turned him down. <laughs> they called me and asked me to come do it. And and uh, and I was like uh, in Japan and had to put it off and, and then canceled other gigs because I was supposed to be here this week to help them write this thing. And then when I got in, they totally, like I said, you know, this is how much it costs. And they went, no, no, we were thinking about 300 bucks. And so we were done. <laughs> <laughs> I had canceled. I had canceled like three thousand dollars worth of a weekend gig. Nothing crossed your mind about barter barter system on this. <laughs> that <laughs> Did didn't not, come up. I, I didn't get to talk to the porn star. Okay, I see, <laughs> only her <I see>. manager. <laughs> and her manager was going to take twenty percent. So I thought no. Um, <laughs> but I had developed a rising penis version of yeah, the trick. Yeah where you could take it off and hand it. And I thought, this is, I'm the right person for this job because I know how to do this trick. <laughs> and then they didn't hire me and didn't want to pay but 300 bucks for four weeks of writing. And <laughs> so it's, it's probably what actually happens in real porno, right? Because the stories are not generally great. <laughs> They're only paying them 300 bucks for four weeks of writing. What do they expect? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not giving you. I'm not giving you penis rise cardiograph for 400 bucks. <laughs> you got to pay for that. Shit. You got to pay for that. Well, that's that's essentially a, uh, handsome Jacks is just the clean. Yes, version. Yeah. the clean version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, time to talk about stamps.com again. You do not want to go to the post office. You gotta skip all your trips to the post office and dodge all that hectic holiday shopping traffic. And you can save time and money with stamps.com. Let you compare rates, print labels, and access exclusive discounts on UPS and USPS services all year long. It just makes sense. If your business sends out mail or packages for the holidays, stamps Stamps.com is great. They're a longtime supporter of the show since 2012. It's so convenient. Anything you ever get from the Penn & Teller office or from Matt Donnelly or from Goudot or from anything, it always comes by Stamps.com. It's all we use. Uh, All of us use it all the time. It's easy to set up. You get discounts like 40% off USPS and 76% off UPS. It's a really, really good 
deal. And through the holiday season, you got to send stuff. I can't believe that there's anyone who's not using Stamps.com. But if that's you, start doing it now. Save time and money this holiday season with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PEN for a special office that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code Pen. You got to do stamps.com, man. It is so good, so easy. They lay it all out for you. I mean, anybody can set it up. Even Matt Donnelly can use it. Let's take a minute and talk about Majuri. Shall we? Let's talk about Majuri. Majuri. Uh, they do great jewelry. I bought uh, something for my wife from them and she just loved it. It's fine jewelry for every day minus the traditional 10 time markups. New limited edition product drops every Monday. Instead of seasonal releases like traditional retailers, pieces that suit everyone, every style, every budget. Pieces are handcrafted, fairly priced, responsibly sourced, that's important, using traceable gold. Plus, 70% of Majuri's gold is certified recycled. If you haven't found the perfect gift, Majuri has the most meaningful pieces for everyone in your life. Don't know what to get? You can't go wrong with gifts that last. 14 karat solid gold, the highest quality gifts. It's fine jewelry they'll love now and wear forever. They got diamonds, and the diamonds are uh, uh, responsibly sourced, conflict-free. Uh, they got iconic styles, loved by all. This is really, really good stuff. Like I told you, I gave my wife the um, the ring that my mother had, okay, for a wedding, and I also gave her a Majuri thing that I bought, and she loved the Majuri thing just as much as my mom's ring. So check it out. Visit Majuri.com slash pen for 10% off your first order. That's Majuri.com slash pen for 10% off your first order. Now, I'm going to have to spell this for you. Majuri is M-E-J-U-R-I. No surprises there. M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash pen. That's P-E-N-N. You get 10% off. It's great jewelry. Check it out. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. So, Handsome Jack. Yes, sir. I'm going to give you an opportunity here. Oh, boy. It's, it's a challenge and an opportunity. What people should know about Handsome Jack is not only... Are you a, an author? Mm -hmm. And not only are you a performer, mm -hmm. but you are also the foremost authority <laughs> on the Asparagus Valley Culture Society. That is correct, sir. And the collector of the Asparagus yes. Valley yes. Culture Society. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've been good friends for a while, but you still maintain uh, this status uh, with no competition uh, yeah. as a collector. <laughs> that is correct. Culture, yeah, yeah. Which was our old group. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to give you an opportunity now. To ask me any question about the Asparagus Valley Culture Society that you would like to ask that you think I may not have answered before. Oh, my God. Why didn't you give me a little bit of heads up? Because I'm going to go home. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to get. I'm going to think of a question, and you're going to answer the question. And I'm going to get. Going to go home, and I'm going to go, oh, God damn it. Oh, shit. Oh, why didn't I ask? Oh, God damn it. That's what's going to happen here. Well, uh, well, I would imagine 
without thinking about it too much, people, I think, are kind of curious about what Weir was like. Mm -hmm. And I get the sense from uh, what I know about the show and stuff that Weir had a really interesting, unusual sense of humor. Uh, Weir was, uh, the Asparagus Valley Culture Society was a three-person group. It was uh, me, Teller, and Weir Christmer. Full name, Kervin Edgar Weir Christmer. Kervin? Kervin was his first name. K-U-R-V-I-N. Kervin Edgar Weir Christmer. Wow. When you have that name, you choose Weir. You, yeah, you choose Weir. <laughs> how to, how to, if those are your choices. And uh, he, when he was growing up, uh, there was a toy called Odd Og. I'm not going to let you walk past that without that? acknowledging that the world's foremost authority on the Asparagus Valley Cultural Society did not know the name. <laughs> Weird name. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do know that um, people think they know Taylor's birth name. Uh-huh. They don't know Taylor's birth name. Uh-huh. So I'm just going to say that. I, I'm not going to say it, but I do know Taylor's birth name. And everyone who thinks they know, they don't know. There was a toy yeah. <laughs> when we were young called the Odd Og. And the ad for it was Odd Og, Odd Og, half turtle and half frog. Wow. And if you wanted to drive Weir crazy, <laughs> you would remind him of his childhood. Weird, weir, weird, weir, <laughs> half turtle and half queer. <laughs> <laughs> That was a long time ago. Back when we could use those words. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a kid, we played smear the queer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a humiliating embarrassment, but but they but they they uh, that that was a right a term that we regained. We we pulled that yeah, term yeah. back, like Yankee, like Yankee yeah. Doodle, yeah. like Yankee, mm-hmm. and some others we haven't. But mm-hmm. that one some we, we haven't. Um, but Kervenegger, we're Christmer and uh, Teller, one name, yeah. <laughs> and Penn Fraser Gillette. Um, uh, formed a group called the Asparagus Valley Cultural Society, which was then shortened to Asparagus by the time we got to San Francisco. So, and and uh, it was a juggler because that's what you were at the time. You juggler. were a juggler. Taylor was a magician, and Weir was a musicologist. Mm-hmm. So you mix those three things together in one show, uh, in a in a very fun, creative way. And uh, uh, Weir was um, far and away. The funniest of us. Mm. Uh, Weir was the quickest, um, the wittiest, and the um, and the uh, most interesting. His sense of humor was um, one of the biggest influences on me. Uh, the age differences in the Asparagus Valley Culture Society were uh, unimportant when we got to be adults. When we first started out, there was a big, big difference. I mean, it, it, it's, it's interesting. You can feel the age difference in George Harrison and Ringo Starr in the Beatles when they're still in their 20s. Yeah. Because uh, I think Ringo's uh, three years older than George, mm-hmm. and George is the youngest in the group, and you feel that vibe. And when we first started working together, Teller is seven years older than me, That's and Weir was four years older than me. So I started working with them when I was 20, right? And they were 24 and 27. Yeah. That's a big difference. Mm-hmm. So Weir was, uh, I first met him when I was in high school. Yeah. He had already graduated college. So um, he was a huge influence on me. And I remember 
one of our first things was he was doing a, uh, a show called the Otmar Sheck Memorial Society for the Preservation of Unusual Disgusting Music. <laughs> and um, he would get people in the Amherst College area to do these uh, like PDQ Bach, but much, much more sophisticated and much, much more subtle. We're always trying to separate ourselves from PDQ Bach. But now, after all these years go by, it's PDQ Bach. Um, and he wanted me to, um, uh, he heard I was a juggler, wanted me to learn to uh, juggle plungers and throw them at a board while he played the Cachaturian Saber Dance. And he would do like the Beethoven Ninth all about food while serving dinner to people. And his shows never made money. And that's the way Teller and I met. Teller was the... Um, would be reciting poetry in Latin, pretending to be blind while selling pencils outside the show. And I was juggling in Weir's show. And uh, when I first met Weir, he handed me a copy of Watt, the book by uh, Samuel Beckett, and said, I was a high school student, said to me, uh, read this, tell me why it's funny. Wow. Explain all the jokes in it to me. That was his test. And all the time, the Asparagus Valley was together, uh, Weir was constantly testing me on, on comedy. And uh, although I am the um, am considered one that does long introductions and <laughs> likes to hold on to the intellectual <laughs> aspect, I was the clown yeah. of the Asparagus Valley Cultural Society because Weir was doing so much more of that. And a lot of of what you see in Penn and Teller is Teller and I trying to be weird. Mm -hmm. He wore a three-piece suit. <laughs> right. I, you, you wore shorts yeah. and a T-shirt yeah. and mismatched sneakers. Yep, and a leather jacket. Yeah. And uh, Teller wore like mime outfit tights and right. stuff and, like that. And your opening trick in that show demonstrated all of these things in a fantastic and wonderful way. It was. It really impressed me the first time I saw you in asparagus with the escape, the yeah. straight jack. We started. We wanted to. Uh, we wanted to do, give exposition on the characters, mm -hmm. so we did. Um, I've always thought it was funny, yeah. and I really thought it was funny then. But we've done different variations of this, of the idea of taking an escape, which um, is usually life and death, and. Um, uh, making it over something artistic and trivial. And I find that so compelling. Mm -hmm. It's the idea of the high wire that's a foot off the ground. Yeah, They're all the same idea. And I've always been obsessed with it. And this idea was um, the three of us would enter the audience and all be tied in straitjackets. And then Pierre Gintz in the Hall of the Mountain King would start, record it. Mm -hmm. And there was a pipe organ on stage, a real pipe organ. There was a, uh, a, a marimba on stage, and there was an electric bass guitar on stage. And uh, Weir, who did the introductions, would say, as the music started, the members of the Asparagus Valley Cultural Society have now been secured in straitjackets such as those used to do the criminally insane. You're listening to Pierre Gintz in the Hall of the Mountain King. That music will cease, 144 measures into the uh, music. If the members of the Asparagus Valley Cultural Society have not escaped successfully and gotten to their instrument at that time, there will be silence. And then it would build. And then we escape from the straitjacket by Teller doing these serpentine 
motions. Really cool, creepy. Very slow and, yeah. you know, sinewy. And I would escape as violently as you've ever seen yeah. anybody. <laughs> throwing around the, the throwing ground. yourself around like a yeah. maniac. Flipping yeah. around on the floor. Bouncing yeah. on the wall. On the floor, ripping it apart. And Weir would simply stand there. Not do anything. Do nothing except go 44 measures, 43 measures. 42 <laughs> measures, not moving. And then at the last possible instant, I get out, undid Weir, and then just he folded it up and put it aside, and we finished the music. And by the end of that bit, you knew everything yeah. about the Asparagus Valley Culture Center. You'd throw your straitjacket aside. Weir would hang his up on a hanger, mm -hmm. put it on a hanger. And, yeah. And then, so that said everything about the characters, and also your dress. He was wearing a three-piece suit. You in cutoffs, mm -hmm. cutoff shorts and a t-shirt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was the only one comfortable on stage, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and uh, and 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 Taylor in his tights and stuff. Yeah. And that told you everything about. Yeah, it really did everything. And uh, it was really nice, you know, when we played with the um, Boston Pops. We we called Weir to get permission to do that trick again, mm -hmm. and we did it with uh, with me escaping from Straight Jacket and Teller and getting to the two instruments with the same music mm -hmm. and with a conductor counting down, and uh, uh, did that joke. We also did it with the uh, San Francisco Symphony Orchestra. Mm -hmm. It's a nice bit to escape from Straight Jacket in order to play the the music. And that's when I learned. We did it at the Hollywood Bowl with Steven Spielberg and John Williams conducting, I believe it was. Um, <laughs> I learned that uh, my bass was tuned to 440 and that an orchestra turns tunes to 444. And they, during rehearsal, they stopped and I came in and the whole bass section just screamed, stop, he's out of tune with us. <laughs> and I said, I went with an electric tuner. And they said, yes, you did. That's not orchestra tuning. Wow. <laughs> it was almost a total revolt. Um, I will say with a great deal of shame, I couldn't hear it. <laughs> but the, wow. the bass players, are, I probably could hear it now because I have improved. I actually did think of a question, something oh, I wanted to ask you for a while. So uh, you had this show, Asparagus. It ran in several cities. It ran in Philadelphia, and you had a short run in Minnesota. Uh, and uh, I think one other city, oh, Atlanta. You, Atlanta, and then like a two and a half year run in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. It was a big hit in San Francisco. There's also 965 shows. And there's also a show called Asparagus 2. Mm -hmm. and, and that Asparagus 2 never really had a big, you know, successful run anywhere. No, it was, it was, it, was, it was not a good show. Yeah. It was, a, it was a show you threw together to have a sequel to your big hit show that, you know, that's not exactly that's the that's chronology. That, that's true. And that, yes, right. because we did asparagus in Philadelphia, and then you tried to do asparagus too, too in Philadelphia. also in Philadelphia. And then after that failed miserably, you went we back. did a hybrid okay. of the two in San Francisco, which was very successful. Okay. Well, the, and by hybrid, we mean just the first show. <laughs> just the first show. So, but you did a trick in asparagus too that involved. Something about water and the old yeah, joke where you put yeah, the, the funnel yeah, in your yeah, pants. Yeah, yeah. What was that whole thing? Teller and I have been obsessed, still are, mm -hmm. uh, with one of us turning into the other one. Okay. And we've done many, many versions of that. I can think of it one off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when I say many, many versions, not all of them been on stage. Yeah. Um, and we wanted to turn one of us into the other. So we took an old clown gag where you uh, take a funnel, put it in your pants, they pour water in, and, the, and the, the smart clown has a water bottle in there, right? A hot water yeah. bottle. And the other 
the other uh, person rube, doesn't. Yeah. And the rube doesn't, and it just spills all over. And we had the three of us doing that clown gag, all in clown makeup, okay? So it started with, uh, I don't even remember which order it was. Isn't that awful? I think it was Teller putting on all white face, right? White face clown makeup. And, and you did black face. That the audience saw put on. And uh, then we did this gag, which involved wrapping up in a sheet and stuff like that for obvious reasons. And meanwhile, I was backstage desperately putting on white face that matched Teller. And then we did a switch. And at the end, when Teller took his makeup off, it was me. Uh, wicked hard trick to do. Wicked hard trick to keep that rhythm going and show stuff. And, da, 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 da. and I guess we did it. It's just people didn't like it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess in a certain sense, it was successful. And we're kind of, we're in a, you know, a clown nose on. It was, a, it was a three-person clown gang that ended up with Teller and I changing places. And I can't for the life of me remember whether I turned into Teller or Teller right. turned into me. Mm -hmm. But I, I just told it one way. It might have been the other. Yeah. And Psychic Comedian was in that asparagus too. Yeah. But uh, the, th that came up because um, our uh, our friend Mickey Lynn, we were out to dinner and he said to me, what is the worst trick you've ever done? What's the worst thing you've ever done on mm -hmm. stage? So there was this thing called Psychic Comedian that was terrible. And that people hated, and I would not give up on. I would not give up. I did it for months, and not one night did it ever get a reaction. It was never good. It was terrible. And as I was talking to him, I said, and I kind of, you know, what was wrong with it was, and I said it was arch, and I never let the audience be in it with me. I kept them separate from me. It was satire, and I can't do satire. I'm terrible at satire. I always suck at satire, and I don't like it. Every time I've tried it, I've failed miserably. And I went, wait a minute, Psychic <laughs> Comedian's a great bit. And I went in the next day to tell her in our meeting and said, tell her, I, I want to do Psychic Comedian. And he went, that's the worst thing we've ever done. And I said, yes. And that's how it came up. I was asked what the worst thing we ever did was, and I mentioned that. And I said, now I want to do it again. And he said, why would you want to do that again? And I said, because I know what's wrong with it. And I told Teller, and Teller and I sketched it out, and we ended up with a modern version of Psych Comedian okay. that was one of the really great things you've mm -hmm. ever done. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and with that, I mean, I don't need to say in fairness to time that it was also a thousand times better trick. Yeah. yeah. But the concept, I do believe what I had wrong yeah. with it was wrong with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the premise was the same, but the trick was different. And then you had. A point you were making with the new version that you weren't with the other yeah. one and yeah the point of view was different yeah the premise was exactly the same but i let the audience in on my side and i you know when, when provenza did his book on um satire satiristas satiristas um he asked me part of it and i said to him i don't like satire yeah. and he he argued with me about it and said you love satire and tried to bring up examples they weren't really there <laughs> and I have always, always respected satire tremendously until I thought about it. And then I said, wait a minute, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't really like it at all. And every time I have tried to do something where I pretend to be something I'm not mm -hmm. and do comedy with that, I have always failed mm -hmm. miserably. And if you wanted to write a novel about failing about that, the key moment you would have in it is exactly a real life moment.
which is me going on Colbert. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is the worst performance I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And it was because I was trying to play Colbert's game. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Colbert is wonderful at it. I, I guess one of the best there's ever been at playing a character like that. I don't like it. Yeah. You know, I don't like it. And I know he's great. I know he's brilliant. I don't like it. And I went on and tried to do it and trying to do something that you have no skill at yeah. and don't like mm-hmm. is, is, is really pissing up a rope, yeah. which is something <laughs> else I have no skill at and don't like. Uh, but, like but, me doing magic, huh? <laughs> which brings us to the next Penn and Teller bit in your new show, Pissing Up a Rope. Yeah, Pissing Up a Rope. <laughs> um, but it's really interesting. Um, when Prevenza put that book out was when I realized that um, my idea of comedy really, I mean, George Carlin very rarely does satire. Very rarely does satire. Mm -hmm. There are some things where he he takes on a character and does it briefly, Mm -hmm. but George Carlin is mostly talking to you. Lenny Bruce, not satire for the most part. Richard Pryor, you know, who who I think you always have to put at the top of that list. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you can maybe tie George Carlin with him, yeah. but you, you're not going to ever put yeah. Richard Pryor uh, anywhere but the top. Yeah. You're not going to like Provenza's book on puns. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and that, that is the case. If you go back and look at times that Teller and I have really failed, it's when I don't, and a big breakthrough in the past, I believe that the Penn and Teller material has gotten much better in the past, uh, uh, 10, 15 years. And I think the major reason is more and more letting the audience in. I mean, as much as you want to say the cups and balls lets the audience in, not as much as the new stuff. And my new technique that I use, and I really use this technique, is I, uh, it's an, it's a, it's an exercise I run on every new bit. I go, if I were telling this, telling about this bit to, to Jack, Handsome Jack, and to Andy, and the other guys I talked to, you know, Godot, sure. uh, Matt, how would I describe it to them? And then I say, why isn't that the introduction on stage? Why am I treating the audience different from my friends? And those questions, sometimes there's a reason for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that question is one that I never started asking until 10 years ago. Mm-hmm, right. And now, if I were the kind of person who mentored, which I'm not, if I had to give advice to somebody, I would say, describe this bit to your friends, what you think's good about it, and then see how much of that you can use with your audience. Yeah. And you'll see in our style, I do it all the time. Yeah. yeah. I do it all do, the time now. Yeah, all the time. Uh very similar lesson is uh, Jared Kopf, who is a magician you mm-hmm. and I both Great love magician. a lot. He's a Texas magician and just one of my very, very favorites. What he does is he just tells the truth about what he's doing uh-huh. uh, in a way that doesn't ruin the trick, but is also just the, just the truth. And it's an amazing, amazing concept to know you can do that as a magician. He sometimes, he however... I've had I had the discussion with Jared about yeah, this. Yeah. He sometimes tells the truth in the way that mentalists tell the truth. Sometimes. Sometimes you're probably right about that. Yeah. What I mean by that is the way mentalists tell the truth yeah. is where they're it's the literal truth, 
but not the emotional truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the example, uh, you know, you, you want to use it that is a mentalist saying, there's nothing I do that you couldn't do yeah. w- with work and practice. Yeah. And to the mentalist, that means they're telling the truth completely. To a lay audience, it means I can develop my ESP. Yeah. 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 And uh, I try to never do that kind of stuff. I fail. There's some stuff, even in the show now, that I'm a little queasy about because it's not dead on. Yeah. You know, I don't leave people with the exact impression. Okay. But but it's it's a pretty interesting, Mm -hmm. pretty interesting technique. And uh, you often find that when a comedian that I really like is really rocking, to me, it comes out to them just like they were telling me about this these bits in their living room. Yeah. You know, here's an yeah. idea I had. You know, it's, when it's like that, it's, a, it's really nice to bring audiences on their side. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy when you're working on magic to think how cool it would be to be kind of arch. You know, we're doing this new thing that I'm, that I'm a little worried about. Because we're we're separating from that, we're doing the age appropriate escape, mm-hmm. and we're doing it. Uh, uh, we're doing a big change in an intro in that, and we're not really ever stating the premise directly. And uh, I may even be sneaking that in to a middle section of it mm-hmm. because uh, it's not letting the audience completely in on the idea. Right. Um, you know, and the idea is is. Very simply, you know, uh, seeing a 20-year-old escape is really sexy and interesting. See a 70-year-old man tied up is just pathetic. <laughs> and how do you do an escape when you're that much that much older? Yeah. And that's what we're working on. It's a really, really funny idea. Yeah. And I hope we can find a balance on that. But it's it's interesting that you really think of a magician and a comedian. Comedian sets up does the punchline magician does a trick that fools you and it's very very counterintuitive to think that you can do both of those things giving people more information than you would think they should have mm-hmm. and the the, the the surprising thing is they can have much more information than you think mm-hmm. they could have yeah. and still love it yeah jack did you know jerry andrus i did oh yeah i Jerry Anders is a really good example. Um, yeah, yeah, it's slightly different with Jerry because Jerry was not so much always telling the truth. Jerry was just never telling a lie, mm-hmm. which is a slightly different thing. Very different. But Jerry Anders, I, I think uh, you could probably find a shrink who would have um, who had, would have diagnosed him with some sort of mental illness. Well, yeah, he, you know, he. Jerry was a very uh, interesting, unusual man. Yeah. And Jerry Andrus um, uh, would never tell a lie, which uh, almost becomes the importance of being earnest in the nightmare of his life. He had some really bad things happen. He worked uh, for the telephone company, didn't he? I believe so. And he was uh, he was in a, as everybody knows, you cannot follow the rule book. Yeah. There's no job that you can have where the rule book can be followed absolutely literally right and 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 can function, yeah, well, he did, you know, and he would report everything and he would do all of that, so consequently was not liked by his coworkers and was finally fired mm-hmm. right. uh, essentially for telling the truth, yeah right uh, on everything, and he would have very strong opinions on how he defined truth, which we I'm uh, sorry, not lying. 
Yeah. And which we disagreed on. We had many, many arguments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was, uh, he lived alone, needless to yeah. say. Di- if you can't, if and, you can't lie, you live alone. And, and died a virgin. Yep. Died a virgin. Right. Uh, but you know, uh, autistic is what I think you'd probably be diagnosed. Uh, somewhere. Somewhere on that so, spectrum. Somewhere. But it's, I mean, he also yeah. had a picture of his breakfast, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what he I mean? Would, this is, he would go into a that's restaurant. That's a classic autistic yeah. behavior. Yeah. You want to explain Dude, it? Go ahead, please. Uh, you'd go into a restaurant, and instead of going, okay, I want two eggs, and I want them here, and put the ba- he'd, he'd go here. And he'd pull out a photograph of his breakfast, and go, I want, this is what I want, and I want it arranged on the plate exactly like this. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how much do you, how much do you relate to uh, Jerry Andrus, yeah. uh, Reddy? Uh, quite a bit, I guess. <laughs> Did you ever meet him? Yeah, a lot through JRF. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and did uh, did, did you feel it? You felt a very kindred spirit there, right? I did, and it was all before I was diagnosed because I was late diagnosed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I wouldn't have been able to put a you know a handle on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't at the time when I knew him. You know what I mean? It was only later. It's only later. Yeah. Now raising my own son, I, that I realized, wow, that that's very much like. Did you ever go to his house? I never made it to his house. I always. One of the worst places I've ever been in. Yeah. You could not, there were paths that you had to follow because yeah. all the stuff was up to your head. Yeah. And he slept in this little tiny, like, coffin that was up above everything. Because he wanted to use all the space. Yeah. And Gary had, Darwin as well. Yeah. 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 Just, well, but Gary Darwin's place was, Gary Darwin's house is completely filled with crap, all very neatly organized and displayed. Right. But tons and tons of crap, but it was all arranged in perfect rows yeah, on sure. the shelves and everything. Whereas with Jerry's house, it was a different story. And he had, you know, uh, notebooks full of, Song titles for country songs. He just, just thought up. <laughs> we show it. Is he perfectly arranged? Yeah. There you go. Look Look at Randy's garage. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, we had, you know, he had uh, near the end of his life when he was given a diagnosis of, that it was, he had recorded near the end of his life. We sent David Greenberger. Oh. Uh, Teller and I paid for David Greenberg oh, to go, wow. and he interviewed him for hours and hours. Oh, I did And that's know. all transcribed, and we have all of it. Yeah. Pretty interesting. We have a lot of nice. Jerry Andrews stuff, and we have a lot of photographs of his house and so on. Uh, I was really taken with him. Yeah. But but can can we can we take this back to Asparagus sure. Valley for a moment? Here's something I've always been curious about, and maybe there's nothing to say about it, but the the show ended, and this was sort of the encore of the show, or the ending of the show, depending on how you look at it, was the you would sing The Last Kiss. J. Frank Wilson, The Cavaliers, Last Kiss. The Last Kiss, which people uh, refer to that song as uh, Where, Where Can My Baby Be, I think. Tell me about the choice of that song, why you ended the show with that song. Do you know? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's a really hard thing. It's a song that I've always liked. Mm-hmm. It was completely maudlin. Yeah. Uh, it is uh, in... in incredibly bad taste yeah and it was a pop song that was a big hit yeah and i like the bass line mm-hmm. big hit twice yeah. yeah 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 it arranges um really really nicely with the bass being way up front it can work without drums mm-hmm. and uh as a keyboard part that was easy enough for uh for teller mm-hmm. and um 
all works together. And I just thought it's a really catchy tune. And after everything on our show that had so much um, classical music and all of that, mm-hmm. I thought it was really funny to end with a pop song. Yeah. Possible, it's much simpler than that, that I was you know, 20 years old and wanted to sing a rock song. Yeah, yeah. And if anybody has never seen a photograph of, um, what's his name with the Cavaliers? J. Frank Wilson. Yeah, if you've never seen a photograph of J. Frank Wilson, do your Googling right now <laughs> and check that cool cat out. Yeah, J. Frank Wilson had it all happening. Yeah. Anything else you got? Well, I'm looking at photos of J. Frank Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Um, that's not who I'm thinking of. I'm thinking no. of the guy. With the big pompadour. That's who I'm thinking that's of. That's not J. Frank That's Wilson. not. Uh, th- yeah. Whoever also had a hit with that song. <laughs> Somebody that knows there who... The, the guy with the big pompadour that had a hit with that song. The it's huge not, pompadour, yeah. Mr. Wilson is not the pompadour guy. You've got to find the pompadour guy. He's really great. I, I've forgotten his name, but very famous. Uh, that's him right there. What's his name? <laughs> Wayne, Wayne Cochran. Wayne Cochran. Uh, I always fabulous forget his name. white pompadour. Yeah. I always forget his name because Eddie Cochran, oh, when I think of Cochran, I think, oh, no, that's I'm just thinking of Eddie. Yeah. No, Wayne Cochran. Google Wayne Cochran. <laughs> Check out this dude's pompadour. It is unlike... <laughs> what, what's the phrase like nothing else ever like nothing else never uh, unlike, unlike 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 nothing ever unlike it's unlike nothing ever <laughs> there's a picture with a bearded elvis presley who yeah. looks a lot like lance in that one that's what lance is there it is oh why don't you okay you want to be working again pull, pull that hunk from the uh from the podcast Play yeah that for lance you got another five years of work <laughs> i hope so <laughs> one more question any more questions Paragus Valley oh I'm gonna kill myself when I get home but I don't have anything there'll I'm- be other shows yeah that was Penn Sunday School <laughs> that was Penn Sunday School cha 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 and to our listening you become naked If you want to see Handsome Jack performing, where would you go, Handsome Jack? Uh, There are no options. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, January 21st and 22nd, Havasu Balloon Festival. Come see you down. Go see you down. (laughs) You know we love you. Hey, Matt, you got me to thank? Thanks so much for listening, everybody. And of course, it's time to thank our patrons. Support us at patreon.com slash pen. Jeremy R22, Winter Wiakowski, Allison Sage, Kristen Kledick, Michael Cohen, Dr. Scoop Little, Joseph Mastrangelo, Jeremiah Jenkins, Nate Soloway, Kelly Reeves, Michael Kaplan, Jesse Miller, Alexander Hoffman, Danny Olwine, Julian Webb, Stephen Volcano, Jim the 22-year naked magician, Scooped Mids, and Paul McBride. Thanks so much. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.